Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We are very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Market Scale Pro AV Show, hosted by Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Your weekly B2B kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. We're back in the Market Scale Dallas studio. Good to be here, feeling alive this morning. We are approaching the Thanksgiving holiday, and I couldn't be more excited to spend some time with the family. Uh, even though they're in town, they're only about 45, 50 minutes away. It can be difficult, you know, working that full time job and coming home tired. It's tough to, uh, to see the fam very consistently. So, having this time off both Thursday, Friday, getting off early Wednesday. We're going to be able to spend that time with family and with the people we love the most, which is exciting. So it's cool that Thanksgiving's finally here. But on another note, Thanksgiving really snuck up this year, and I'm not too happy about it. It caught me off guard. It feels like it was just June. And with that short week, it means the episode today is a little different. So typically, we bring you fresh content, fresh interviews, and compile a theme. But this episode's theme is a Pro-AV holiday sampler and the reason for this is because we produce a lot of content Uh, over the past year we've produced a lot of great pro av standalone podcasts that i personally love but didn't quite get that same love from the audience mostly just because they didn't get a lot of traction you know they were really interesting and dug into some great social issues some great tech issues um, looking at growth of the industry for education But, you know, they just didn't gain the traction that we were expecting. And I think they deserve that love, and I didn't want to let them fall through the cracks. So this is sort of a best of or charcuterie board of Pro AV podcasts. It's a Pro AV sampler for you to get varied nibbles of great content that we've produced from 5G's effect on live streaming to women in AV to using digital signage for education. So... I hope all of you enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday, and we're excited to bring you this Pro-AV sampler. So here are some highlights from three of my favorite episodes, but before we jump in, I do have my install of the week, and it's not really an install, it's more of a Pro-AV tech of the week, but the technology is obviously Thanksgiving-themed, it's gotta be, um, staying in line with the holidays. Adweek reported that NBCU is partnering with Verizon to use AR during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, letting patrons travel back in time and see some classic balloons integrated into the parade. So this is the third year of their 360-degree live stream, which is attached to the lead float, the big turkey, and uh, the cameras capture the whole parade. And it's had a lot of success. Last year, it had 9 million streamers, which is a 400% increase from its 2016 debut, uh, with an average watch time of 7 minutes, which is pretty long for a live stream. Um, People 
are getting engaged. They like what they're seeing. And so this year they decided, hey, we're going to up the ante. We're going to do AR. Uh, we want to engage our audience even more for this um, American family event. So they're going to be showing old balloons like Happy Hippo and Happy Dragon and Teddy Bear, which are some Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade classics. And it's just great to see large, very established, very traditional American events like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade adjust to technology people are actually using. Because AR and VR have become way more accessible and ubiquitous over the last few years with products like Oculus Go and Google Cardboard. People are getting that experience straight from their smartphones. Um, Even a 2018 digital commerce study from Incisive said that 48% of customers would be more likely to shop at a retailer that utilizes augmented or virtual reality. So people want it, people like it, it's intriguing, it captures their imagination, and it gets them to spend their money. And why not introduce it to a platform like live streaming that people have also embraced? Um, you know, People love to stream Wow, I mean, their favorite TV shows, their favorite behind-the-scenes content, concerts even. Uh, the live streaming era is upon us, and um, what better way to really capitalize on it than by combining another emerging technology like AR? So this just really shows something that could have been really gimmicky, but it was approached correctly, and it reflects the ideals of the event, right? It's focusing on throwing it back, letting families reminisce on old Macy's Thanksgiving Day parades and getting the youngins more excited about, oh, check out those old floats and getting to see kind of how things have changed, right? It's really in line with the parade itself. Uh, But hey, even better, it rakes in some major cash because $117 million are going to be made in ad revenue this year on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade, which is a lot of money. And it just goes to show that advertisers will pay for those watching eyes so finding new ways to get those people engaged whether that's ar or whether that's the live stream or some other technology is definitely going to be accepted and it's going to be encouraged so that's my install of the week really more my pro av technology of the week but it's just cool to see the macy's thanksgiving day parade adapt a little bit to some cool emerging tech All right, so let's jump into our three features for the day. Remember, they are content we've already produced, but we decided we got to put together some highlights. We've got to give you a sampler of stuff you may have missed from our Pro AV podcast uh, because there are some really, really great insights here that we need to let the audience hear. So our first feature is a podcast with Jennifer Willard, the founder of Women in AV. So when we partnered together to create quality podcast content, Jennifer and I, it was important to lay the groundwork for why WAVE, Women in AV, was necessary in the first place. And we threw it back to 2011 when Willard first founded the organization to take a look at how the industry has changed because even then, things were much different, not even a decade ago. Just look at the Infocom trade show floor, still riddled with best of booth babes, slideshows adorning projector screens, and honestly, there was more hired female talent than actual women representing their organizations. So there was definitely some work to be done. But since then, 
through efforts taken to recognize and advance women with training, awards, mentoring initiatives recently launched in the UK, with VIX's Women's Council local groups taking off in the past year and a half, things have improved a lot for women in Pro-AV. So here are highlights from our State of the Union on women in Pro-AV with Jennifer Willard. was actually the first female who won um, Avix's Young AV Professional. And when I went to the conference where they gave the award, it was Infocom 100. And I met some of the most amazing, you know, successful women um, I had ever in our industry. Unfortunately, there was literally of 100, there was about five of us. Uh, the next year when I went to Infocom in Orlando, I was really touched. And uh, one of the women, uh, Corey Schaefer, she actually remembered me and went out of her way to say hello when she saw me. And it was something that just really got me thinking, like, how can we as women, you know, stay in touch outside of these trade shows, outside of these conferences, these these events and things that happen, you know, really um, that keep us together, even though geography has us so spaced out because we're so few numbers. So I started a, a LinkedIn group for the women in AV sent it out to a, a couple of friends that I did have. And within one hour, we had over 23 members. So it was pretty clear to us that the, the demand was there. From that, it's really taken on a life of its own, which has been incredible. We had a founding board, a planning board, um, such as I mentioned, uh, Corey Schaefer, Jan Sandry, Kelly Perkins, uh, Laureen Jones, and others who we really tried to lay the foundation. And one of the important things that we did up front, you know, we created our mission. We tried to set out sort of the guidelines and principles about what kind of organization we wanted to be and uh, what we wanted to offer to women and um, our industry. So from there, it, you know, like I said, it, it really grew on its own. Um, in 2014, Abigail Brown, a phenomenal woman, in AV out of the UK, took over that uh, chapter for us. And um, over the last several years, she's, uh, you know, herself with her partners and others that she's worked with in the industry has continued to um, grow um, her reach, which, you know, started uh, recently. We just launched a mentoring program out of the UK uh, with Sadie uh, Groom from Bubble Agency. You know, really, you know, how its inception was, was really just from the heart. Um, and the desire to, you know, make friends, collaborate together and do good things with and for each other. And, you know, I think that that's something uh, that everybody can, you know, sort of embrace and uh, get excited about. Right. Well, I think what's so exciting is that it started as a place for community and a place for coming together and feeling like, right, there are others like me in the space and let's, you know, kind of band together and feel this sense of community within our industry. And then now that has evolved into initiatives, into um, public outreach programs, into creating podcasts like this one where we hope to let the voices of the women in the AV industry shine more and you know get their opinions out there and it's it's exciting to see how something can evolve from just a nugget of an idea to a group of like-minded individuals to an entire movement it's exciting it's always fun you know and, and people can get excited and when they have an opportunity especially one of the things that I just myself personally have always loved about the AV industry 
community as a whole is the fact that we're all very service oriented people. You know, we're not like a Wall Street, you know, type industry where, you know, we're trying to make money for ourselves, you know, or, or do things like that. We're very much focused on others just as an industry. And so having that sense of community is something that, you know, really comes naturally to a lot of people. I think this is important to remember. Um, you know, I was looking over some articles that you've written and you wrote one in June called Why I'm Proud to Be a Woman in AV. And I was looking over some of the pictures you posted and I was honestly pretty blown away that um, even just as early as 2010, 2011, it was still you know, best of booth babes. That was still the standard for um, a lot of trade shows and and just the way that women were treated or the way that women were perceived in the pro AV industry was eye candy, right? Not professionals. And, and not that, you know, everyone was treated that way necessarily, but that was the standard and that was kind of what was fun and that was acceptable. And now you look at Infocom 2018 and the things that have progressed from there, it's it's pretty incredible, the change that actually comes when people are paying attention and when they're looking to change the culture. So let's focus on those challenges first. Um, tell me a bit about things that you're still seeing affecting the industry. You know, it is something that I myself think about a lot in terms of, you know, how far we've come uh, since, you know, you mentioned uh, the uh, Booth Babe uh, slideshows uh, that we were still uh, seeing when we, we started to, you know, at Infocom um, 18, I was so I was so excited and, uh, you know, really impressed that we actually saw, our, um, you know, Booth Dudes, as I sort of, you know, call them. And so if you look at us from that time, you know, to where we, we are now, um, I think it goes without saying that we are taken seriously. You know, we have accomplished our mission in the sense that, you know, women are respected. We recognize women. You know, there are sister organizations such as Avixa Women's Council, who's doing an amazing job at the local chapter level, um, you know, reaching out to women. You know, they have, I think, over 20, um, you know, local chapters here in the U.S., and in Canada, where women get together and network. So, you know, we've made enormous strides in terms of the perception of who we are as women in AV, the types of, you know, things that we've accomplished. And yet, somewhat on that, it hasn't been enough in the sense that, you know, our numbers, our achievements and advancements are not necessarily keeping on par with how well we've done in raising our perception. It's wonderful for us to acknowledge each other, to meet with each other, to network with each other, but there is still the challenge of whether or not what we're doing is actually making a very tangible and concrete you know, a result in terms of how it's actually moving women forward. So that's you know, sort of what our challenge is and where we're at now, and that falls into line with some of the, you know, major initiatives that, you know, I myself and, and others in our leadership group are really looking to focus on in terms of how we're moving forward, such as, you know, launching the UK uh, mentoring program. That That's going to have a, an absolute impact on some woman's, you know, future, her career and her skills. So those are the types of things that we want to really look at 
going forward in terms of where we're focusing our energy and time. If you had to choose one major why, right, one of those major root causes that really affects um, or prevents women from entering or establishing careers in the industry, what would you say that is? And how is WAVE and other sister organizations like Avixa's Women's Council or AWIT helping um, push that and help get women more excited about joining Pro-AV? Exactly uh, the ability to be able to take risks. One of the ways that women do that differently feel comfortable differently than men and sort of how they calculate, you know, for themselves, the types of risks that they're, you know, uh, willing to take in all of the scenarios where women were professionally needing more, be it they needed more money. um, They wanted more opportunity and promotion, you know, be it that they were having something that was going on, you know, in their personal lives that were affecting, you know, maybe their ability to be fully present at work. What was consistent throughout every time that we discussed a woman was in the end, women end up taking on more for themselves that is at their own expense rather than you know, taking a risk to say, I need a promotion, you know, or, uh, you know, I need a raise, things like that. Uh, Women will go out and they'll take a second job. You know, they'll, um, you know, they'll suffer through those nights of not sleeping. You know, they'll take that, that um, elderly parent or other things. They're more inclined to not take risks in the sense that men maybe don't feel that same fear that they have, you know, so much on the line that they absorb it within themselves, which in some regards ends up, you know, uh, holding them and ourselves back. And so I would say that when it comes to women, uh, that's one of the the key things uh, that is really a challenge that we need to look at. Uh, in 2016, we were included as one of the top 10 uh, women in tech um, organizations uh, in a uh, professional coach's book, which is, you know, really fantastic. But she talked a lot about the difference between, you know, simple things like self-esteem and confidence. And, you know, the way that we as women sort of talk to ourselves, you know, is seems to be a, a little bit different than men. So in talking to sort of John, women were going out and they were absorbing things more and more within themselves. But men seem to, you know, and maybe you can talk to this, Daniela, um, men don't seem to feel that same hesitation about going forward and saying, hey, I need a raise or, hey, I really want to take on this uh, job assignment and or they just move on. Whereas women sort of, they haven't yet embraced that maybe entrepreneurialship. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but that's really one of uh, the biggest challenges that we have. Again, that was Jennifer Willard, founder of Women in AV. Hope you enjoyed that piece. I really enjoyed putting that one together. Mostly just because I, I love that social aspect sometimes of B2B. There, there are some you know, social dynamics, power dynamics that do need to be addressed. And it's interesting 
to hear from people that are leading that change and really get their take on how the industry has changed, how it's improved, and where there still needs to be some work done. So our next feature focuses on the looming power of 5G on the pro AV industry with insight from John Dudley, founder and president of DC Webcasting by Dudley Digital Works. Like any emerging technology, the main conversation focuses around how you can use it intentionally, avoiding the trap of chasing technology. I did air quotes there. Live streaming is no stranger to this conversation. Increased ease of access, competitive pricing, and more efficient connectivity is making the technology an intriguing investment for pro AV providers and customers. However, optimizing live streaming is the most crucial selling point of the tech. And John Dudley himself has dedicated his time to teaching both providers and clients the ins and outs of live streaming, the pitfalls of poor pre-production, and the impact the tech can have for pushing out and leaving a legacy for important messages. He really sees a lot of value in letting live stream content exist beyond the live stream. So he gives us these same insights on the podcast. Here are highlights from that episode. When people think of live streaming in a really broad sense, often it's thought of from a more consumer, uh, you know, use case, uh, user basis. So, for example, live streaming something personal like uh, a, a playthrough of a video game or something, uh, something a little more focused on, hey, check out what I'm doing, putting it out in front of a really broad audience. But tell me a bit about how live streaming makes its way into the professional pro-AV world um, in sort of more of a B2B way? You know, a lot of it goes back to, you know, obviously you mentioned the consumer side and the social media platform side of it, where it's become a lot more accessible for for everyday consumers. But in the professional space and the B2B space, you know, it's really a hybrid of what, 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 what I knew is television production and and then basically merging that with the technologies that you can deliver those video games or, you know, those those uh, those iPhone videos, you know, through basically instead of, you know, over the airwaves, essentially, you're doing it over the Internet. You know, a lot of our clients are either in, you know, in the B2B space or they are in the B2G space. Some some are B2C, but they use a lot of live events to um, not only, you know, share information and and provide resources to it, whether it's uh, consumers of information or consumer of products. Um, they'll use these live events to basically promote, no, you know, no different than say an infomercial. They're utilizing that technology almost to uh, replace other methods of getting their message across. It's becoming a new standard, u- ubiquitous among pro AV. I would think so. And uh, from what we've seen in, in our space, especially being here in Washington DC, um, I came kind of from a PR agency background. Got a little bit of a hybrid of that and broadcast, where you know you used to have to, you know. <laughs> You know, by infomercial time, or you would have to do, you know, what we call video news releases and all that to kind of get your thing, you get your messages across. And what we found in the live event space is that, you know, like YouTube and like Facebook Live, a lot of our clients are using those as basically communication channels because, in a nutshell, they don't have to buy any airtime. It's free. Love it. Yeah. I mean, basically taking those resources that are already out there, utilizing them, putting them to good use. And I feel like live streaming has evolved a lot over the last few years, especially now that we're entering the 5G era. So how have you seen live streaming evolve 
And then also, how have you seen technology adapt to the 5G era and how is uh, live streaming taking advantage of that? Well, you know, we started doing our first live streaming events. You know, I call it back in the primitive origins um, in the the early to mid 2000s when you didn't have a lot of bandwidth to push through a a higher quality signal. I mean, you know, you're, you're basically doing a reduced standard definition signal at that point. One of the main things that we've seen over time is the increase in, in capability and increase in codecs to actually send a higher quality signal. Things that have happened is the connectivity has improved. The backend CDN types, type of platforms have improved to handle it and scale for the for viewers. And quite frankly, the hardware that we're using and the equipment that we're using has all improved over time. So it's it's been a, a gradual surge towards better performance and better delivery just based on the fact that, you know, technology is constantly improving over time. So, and those technologies are a lot more accessible than they were even five years ago. I love that. And I feel like as it's becoming more affordable and accessible, companies are being more creative with the way they use live streaming. Um, What's been one of your favorite examples of a company putting together uh, a live streaming production and it really benefiting business, you know, getting people more excited about their brand, about the content that they're pushing. You know, we've got countless cases of this. I think one of the major ones that, you know, we've seen is in the healthcare space. And it's kind of, it's a, it's not a direct shot from industry, but a lot of patient groups that we work on in the pharmacy, you know, in the pharmaceutical space, folks that are, you know, advocating for, you know, research and development for for new therapies and cures and diseases, you know, this really helps everybody in that entire space push for innovation, get inter- get information out there and engage, you know, the patient community to push for the development of new therapies. You know, there's there's multiple angles in this. It's not only, you know, telling companies, hey, you know, we may have a rare disease or, you know, you know, this isn't a blockbuster drug that, that would be for us. But it's something that, that that could meet an unmet medical need. At the same time, you know, it also lets the FDA know and, and, and organizations at the federal level that we need to have a climate that is pro innovation, and you know, we need to kind of remove barriers and and make it more accessible to bring new therapies to clinical trials and eventually to market. So how does live streaming then make that message clearer? I mean, it, live streaming makes it clearer because it provides, um, you know, it provides a live look into a lot of these types of you know, events. We do a lot of uh, these patient-focused drug development meetings here in the D.C. area from, from, with advocacy organizations. You know, not everybody can attend this, and especially a patient community that, you know, there's a bit of a... a a, uh, an advocacy or an activist side to it. Groups that can come in and you know hold these events. Not everybody in the community is well enough to travel or has the ability to get to that to that hearing. For them to be able to watch in live, participate in live polling, you know, submit live questions, you know, it just makes it so much more accessible where they have a voice in, in the f- development of a you know potentially a future product. So when you are teaching someone within the pro AV space how to bring live streaming to their clients and their customers. What do you typically teach them on what to do and what to avoid? Well, you know, the first, first thing, this kind of goes back to kind of my marketing communications background is why, why are we doing this? You know, then it's, you know, it's kind of the basic things that I like to have answered right out of the gate is, you know, who's the target? What's the message? What's the best way to re- reach them? How do we reach them? Most importantly, how do we 
measure success. And at the end of the day, why are we doing this? Why do we want to go live? If you answer all those questions, then for me, that's the foundation that you build upon to kind of make your decisions on your format of your program, the platforms that you're going to use, you know, the resources that you're going to, you're going to throw at it, as well as, you know, the, you know, the budget that you have to come up with to, to accomplish. Right. And what have you seen, like when teaching the ins and outs of live streaming, uh, what has been the biggest challenge, the hardest thing to communicate to people within the pro AV space? I would say in the pro AV space, probably, I think this is all in general, anybody, whether it's the client or the pro AV space, is that you've got to put a heavy emphasis, your strategy and your pre-production and, and do the work, you know, up front. That's really where the rubber is going to hit the road to ensure that you have a seamless live stream. It's making that investment. At the end of the day, you know, you know, there, there's, the, the, there is a mindset that's out there that says, you know, well, we can just plug in and just go. And when you're working in unknown venues, unknown IT environments, without that planning and without that testing side of it, that pre-production side of it, your risks go through the roof. We put such a huge emphasis on it, what we do in our company, and I teach this, I preach it basically, because it's the smartest thing you can do to reduce your risks, save money, and ensure that you deliver the best program that you can. So I also wanted to know, how have you helped people within the pro AV space convince clients that live streaming is a great option, a viable option? It's it's the next step for interactive and long-lasting content. You know, what do you advise for um, distributors of live streaming capabilities to, uh, yeah, how, how do you advise them to better convince a client that, hey, you need to do this and this is why? Number one, going live for the sake of going live, that will never win the day. If you can tie that reasoning and you have, a, you know, a legitimate goal in mind and tie it into an overall bigger communications strategy, bigger campaign goal, you have to find a way to tie that content, that live content in to the bigger picture, whether it's a marketing or communication strategy. At the same time, I think what people can do as well, you know, in the AV space is come up with ways and think about how does this content tie into that strategy and how do we leverage it in multiple ways beyond the live event? That's the biggest thing I think that, you know, helps, you know, our clients buy our service because we're thinking of the big picture. We're thinking of it holistically and we're thinking about life beyond the live event for that content. I love how the way technology is being treated in the pro AV space is very similar to the ed tech space. I feel like all the conversations I've been having recently with professionals, whether it's people purchasing and using ed tech or the ones creating it is how can we turn this technology into something that is beyond a flashy new item that, oh, check it out. We can use VR in the classroom or, you know, in your case, oh, check it out. We can live stream our event. It's finding ways to integrate it intentionally and almost to the point where you don't even think about the technology in and of itself. You're thinking about the end goal, right? How is VR going to accomplish more empathy for students? That kind of conversation. Or how is live streaming going to get our message across faster and hit a wider reach of people who are in need of hearing this really, really essential content? It's that kind of conversation that's really uh, inspiring and, and really interesting to see how industries are you know, talk in the same way, basically. There's sometimes, you know, I, I've, I've actually counseled some of my clients that it may not be the best approach. You're not ready to do this yet. At the end of the day, these are all just tools, right? These are all just tools. These are all just means of communication that need to be woven into 
you know, a higher strategy. And that's, that's one of the main things that I teach. And that's one of the main things that, you know, is our value proposition when we're working with clients. Again, that was John Dudley, founder and president of DC Webcasting by Dudley Digital Works. Great to hear from him on how 5G, which is affecting a lot of different industries, is impacting Pro-AV. And our last feature from our holiday sampler really painted a mental image for me when I was conducting it. I really pictured a summery Friday night. Crowds cheering, stands full of fans, the sounds of crashing gear... It was that mental image of high school football, a staple event in any sports-centric community, which has a lot of memorable aspects, clearly. But maybe what doesn't immediately come to mind is a multi-million dollar LED display showcasing highlights in slow motion and illuminating the crowd with sponsors and promotions. That's starting to become more ubiquitous. And Clint Burgess, senior event production and on-site tech manager for Nevco, joined us on the podcast to break down how this high-quality technology brings amazing benefits and growing pains in the education space. After 11 years at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas, Burgess knows the impact high school and collegiate football can have on an institution, both culturally and financially. And digital signage can power that as well. I mean, who knew digital signage could be such a powerful tool to bring students into STEM fields? Burgess has all that information and more in this feature, so enjoy highlights from this episode with Clint. We kind of jumped on the bandwagon pretty quick and brought it in, and it, it is—it's a massive undertaking. It's—it's it's a lot of uh, planning. It's a lot of uh, executing, uh, and you know the most important thing is you have to have good people around you. So, and I encourage a lot of institutions or even lower in Division ones and, and and on down. It's—it's uh, it's a great recruiting tactic for your institution, respectively, and more so. Uh, in the athletics regime of things as well, because again, you know, you can sit there and watch, you know, mom and dad in Virginia can watch their baby in Southern California play. So that's always a plus. So, but, but, but from a technical perspective, there was a lot, a lot to it, uh, especially when you try to do what we're getting ready to talk about the, uh, the, the video board side of it to try to do two shows at once. It, uh, it makes it for a very interesting conversation. Speaking personally from my experience in Texas, because I'm also a Texas guy myself. Uh, I went to McKinney Boyd High School and the entire McKinney sect, which is just sort of a suburb north of Dallas, they just got a multi-million dollar stadium put in place that has giant, uh, you know, video screens on it and displays that are top notch and professional level. So, I mean, you're starting to set a precedent that even at the high school level, you're getting professional video displays, you're getting a professional fan experience. And I think it's it's almost going to work its way from the bottom up. Like, okay, if high schools have this technology, what is a pro stadium going to bring to the table that's pushing, you know, a new, more um, authentic experience even forward? Well, and you're seeing this unique parody kind of accumulate, I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, you know, you, you, I, I know here in Texas, uh, and I know we're probably going to harp on that because we're from Texas, but uh, what you're kind of seeing is, is, is again, you're starting to see uh, 4As and, and, and even now that we've got a 6A, you're starting to see some of these smaller schools get involved with it. And that's because, again, they've realized that they can let kids be involved with this and the other. And you're seeing this kind of gap that's happening. Uh, you know, Katie just opened a massive stadium over here uh, outside of Houston. You've got McKinney, you've got Allen, you've got some of these, these very, very large 
20,000 seat, down here, 20,000 seat stadiums and, you know, they're having it. But then you're seeing this kind of gap where a lot of the lower institutions in the Division One, there's 347 Division One institutions. And just, you know, for namesake, you know, NEFCO, we, we've actually pulled in some of the SWACs that are in those lower markets. And you're starting to see those guys get really involved because there is a mass revenue opportunity. It's a mass revenue opportunity. It engages your fans in so many outlooks of it. But these smaller schools, you're starting to see these three A's, even in my hometown near Lufkin, you're starting to see some of them get involved with it. And the reason being is, is because, again, they're seeing that we have an opportunity for revenue. We have an opportunity for the kids to get involved. And really a bigger factor is a communal, quote unquote, a community factor that a lot of the community goes, I, I, I just case in point, just off the cuff here. Uh, I literally just followed somebody on Lufkin Panther Sports and they literally got an argument over whose video board was the biggest between them and Longview. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow, these, they're still having these conversations because used to it was, well, who had the bigger stadium and who's got the better jersey? And now it's getting to the point, well, who's got the bigger video board? And that's really what it's boiling down to is a lot of these, these ADs, these soups, uh, these school boards, uh, you know, curriculum directors are starting to realize there's a lot of mitigating factors here that we can benefit a lot of areas, not just the football coach and not just the AD. We can benefit so much more within the community with it. So let's look to the technological side of things now. How have video displays in the athletics, uh, whether it's professional D1 sports or it's high school athletics, how have they evolved and what kind of new features or optimization opportunities are being brought to the table? Because I feel like we're getting moments now where you want to toss up social media feeds up on the big board and you want to show real time what people are tweeting. You know, how are you adapting to, you know, take information that is on a small scale, blowing it up, also, you know, expanding the quality of cameras, expanding the resolution capabilities. What are you seeing coming through this market and how are things evolving? From a display standpoint, displays are getting tighter. And what we call them tighter, that means they're getting better meal, uh, you know, the distance between the actual LED uh, digit itself. But you're seeing a lot tighter displays come into play. You know, when I got in the business, 30, 32 mil was was a great day. And now you're starting to see, uh, you know, from a NEFCO perspective, uh, a 10 and a 6 is pretty traditional. And they're getting ready to make that migration here pretty quick to a 6 and a 4. So you start from, from that standpoint, you're starting to see displays get tighter. What that means is, is there's more pixels in a board, which means you can pump more of an HD signal to it. So you're getting a much better image coming down the pipe. I think from an equipment standpoint, you're seeing a lot of diversification of equipment across the board. Everything from the high-end guys and Ross all the way down to the TriCasters and uh, the basic clients that a lot of vendors have for their uh, respective boards, you're seeing a lot of, of that technology begin to migrate to more data-based, uh, to more image-based uh, clip servers are clip servers. You know, you're going to be able to play things out. You're going to be able to, to play music out. That's that's not going to change. But you're get, beginning to see the kind of this this change of how data plays a massive factor into it. How realistically, like you just mentioned, how you're migrating social media into it. Not a lot of people are really using that social media aspect yet, and they will when it starts trickling down. That's that fan engagement. That's that environmental engagement that you want. Uh, but again, from a technology perspective. As I kind of tell people all the time, uh, producing shows or producing uh, you know games, it doesn't matter. Those things don't change. 
what you may go to college for, what you may be on the job training for. Those things don't change. Building blocks for a show doesn't change. It's how you get there. And that can be from uh, the creative process or the technology process as well. But you're starting to see, again, this this unique kind of blend of how data is coming into it more, social media is coming into it more. uh, And you're starting to see technology kind of bend a little bit towards the display side a little bit. Uh, For years, everything we had from, from, it didn't matter if it was Ross or it didn't matter if it was uh, router-based, it didn't matter. They were bending towards the broadcast side. Well, now the broadcast side is beginning to flip back a little bit towards the display side, in my opinion, because, again, you're starting to see these schools that have to do dual shows or they're utilizing equipment for, you know, killing two birds with one stone. So I think you're seeing this unique kind of trend that's beginning to kind of migrate things. And, And I think things, as long as these boards begin to continue to get tighter, these boards begin to kind of get more cost efficient and more uh, energy efficient to a certain extent. Uh, I think you're going to see this trend continue to go. Will it all happen tomorrow? Probably not. Next week, probably not. Uh, but down the road, absolutely. I think you'll. I think within a year or two, I think you're going to see some new technology come out that'll be that'll be cutting cutting edge, so to speak. With these pushes in technology, uh, are there any new difficulties in the installation or on the provider's side? Are there any new challenges that arise, whether it's with getting new data on those boards, higher quality video, whether it's social media, or maybe it has to do with those uh, tighter resolutions? Any new issues? I, I'm seeing, you know, from my perspective, and I think from from the smallest school you want to pick to maybe even the largest to a certain extent, I'm seeing staffing be somewhat of a problem. Um, and in conjunction with staffing, I think uh, – I think the education side of it as well. And the reason being is, is that you're seeing a lot of institutions come in and say, you know, hey, we've got this great board. It looks great. And, and what happens inevitably is, is they know they've got these these great, you know, oh, we got this great million dollar board. Oh, it's great, whatever. But they don't know how to get it up there. And we do, you know, in FK, we do a pretty good job of training and getting those guys to where they need to be. Uh, but some of the things when we leave out the door, those are things that, that has to be kind of continued. And so we're seeing staffing uh, in conjunction with just knowledge base being something that I kind of see. I think the technology side, I think automation is going to be, you know, the, a little bit of the future. You know, again, I, as I told you before, I don't think it's going to be Alexa cut the camera through or anything. But I think you'll get to the point where there will be some better automation, uh, whether it's on switchers, whether it's on data, whether it's it's plug and play type situations. So I think those are going to begin to kind of change the game a little bit, like we just mentioned. But I think for the short term, again, I think it's really staffing and knowledge base is really what I kind of see is coming up because this is all great stuff to have. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to play with this stuff. It's unique to play with this stuff. Everybody wants to be the camera on the big board. Uh, but it's, it's finding those people, getting them engaged, training them up, letting them bind to your system, how you're running a show, and then getting them down the road. And, and, and in, in the same context, letting them understand that they have to continue their knowledge base of how they're learning stuff within the show. Right. You know, it almost makes me think of the old adage, uh, you know, give a, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, but teach a man to fish and, you know, he, he'll feed himself for life. Like that kind of idea of, okay, you can walk in as an installer and give these beautiful boards to a high school and then say, all right, yeah, here's kind of more or less how you use it and then leave. And then honestly, maybe they'll get some use out of it, but they won't fully understand the capabilities. Or if, you know, whoever is staffing and running these boards on a consistent basis isn't trained on all aspects of it or doesn't really have time to dig in 
on their own time, then yeah, I could see that being a major issue. Well, I think that that that's where you know per se like Nevco, uh, and I'm just using. Uh, as an example, I think that that's really where we're beginning to uh, shape and shift that process. You know, I've been around this business long enough that, you know, I've seen some people that you buy a Cadillac and they drop the keys off and say, congratulations, you got a new Cadillac. And I've seen some people come in that, you know, I literally to this day, I love them to death, but I can't get them to quit calling me because they're, they're checking on me every five minutes. So <laughs> right. I guess the best way to put it is a lot of the different vendors, whether we sub that out to whatever for a control room or for whatever it may, may be, a lot of these vendors are catching on with the edge of, of online training or online videos and kind of getting them, uh, again, more tools, more ample tools that are evergreen. Uh, for these folks to sit there and learn from and pick and choose from what they need to know. You know, and that goes back to, to institutions institutions determining from the get-go and having adequate people uh, be over the boards or facilitate the boards and so on. And so kind of, you know, that that's really the first thing I always tell people is, you know, who do you have? What, where are you going? What, what, who, who's, running the, who, who's running this joint, so to speak? And then, you know, once you, you, once you kind of talk to that person, you kind of find out, hey, they're doing this for an academia standpoint, or maybe they're doing it because they love their school and they love their community. It doesn't matter. And so I think that as long as you've got some, some folks like that, vendors like that, that are willing to go out there and say, hey, here's what we got. You get a day training, half a day training. And you mesh that with what somebody like a Nevco is getting ready to do, where we go in there, we really scale that process for that institution itself. To sit down and say, okay, here's what you can do. Realistically, here's what you can do. And here's where you should be shooting for it. So that's, and a lot of it, again, goes back to that knowledge base. A lot of these people, they don't get to go to a Cowboys game or a Spurs game or a Pelicans game and see what's out there. Um, So they have to rely on us and they have to rely on a little bit what's out in the the real market to say, hey, here's some things we want to do. You know, here's what we want to do. And that's where we come in to kind of assist that to say, here's how you do it. All right, everyone. Unfortunately, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Show. I hope you enjoyed our Pro AV sampler to kind of carry you over past the holidays. This is definitely something you can listen to after you are stuffed on turkey and ham and cranberry sauce and gravy and who, who knows what else? Pecan pie, some pumpkin pie. I can't eat pecan pie because I'm allergic to all nuts, unfortunately, but pumpkin pie will definitely be on my plate. I know I'll be tuning in to some of our shows while I am recovering from that food coma. So everyone, please enjoy your holiday. Um, Take it easy. Drive safe. Never drink and drive. You know, call that Uber and really enjoy that time with people you care about. If you're enjoying Thanksgiving alone, then take the time to be thankful for some of the great stuff in your life. I know I'm definitely going to be tossing up some thanks because uh, it's been a great several months here at Market Scale. Really enjoying it. Really love the team and really love the content we're putting together. So thanks, everyone. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries to subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.